Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church Again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church or to support the mission financially, head over to scog.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. All right, this morning, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. It is a small book of the Bible, so if you have to use the table of contents, there is no shame in that. Uh, it's in the very, pretty much the very back of your Bible. If you're using your phone, you're cheating, uh, but that's okay. There's books, loca- or Bibles that are located in uh, the seats in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, feel free to take that um, home with you. If you have 18 at home, they're collecting dust. Don't take my Bible to collect dust at your house, okay? So Colossians chapter 3, we're also going to be in a, a little bit in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. So if you want to put a finger or a piece of paper or uh, the ribbon in your Bible there, that's great, or in Matthew chapter 5 as well. These are all, uh, we're not really going to talk too much about Matthew 5, 6, and 7, but it might be a good thing to visit this week as you study and as you think about this week's message. We are concluding a series called Follow Me, Follow Me, Uh, really all about discipleship. How do we become the best disciples of Jesus we possibly can be? And we've been uh, studying this for the last a few weeks, and so we're going to conclude that today. Next week, we're going to launch into a new series uh, called the Hall of Fame, and we're going to be diving into the all-stars of the Old Testament, Uh, really kind of diving into these guys that maybe we kind of gloss over, we don't talk about very uh, much, putting them in context, trying to help you connect the dots between people that Abraham and Moses didn't hang out even though they're only a few chapters away from each other in the Bible, there's like a thousand years between the two of them, so they didn't know each other. Sometimes when you're reading the scripture, like, did they all live like in the same? They lived in the same spot, but it was uh, really, really far away from each other, okay, in, uh, chronologically. So we're going to be exploring that. And that's going to be helpful, I think, to draw uh, on the Old Testament, the context in what, which we're given and how we can explore that. So today we're going to finish up Follow Me, and we're talking about how we can be the best disciples we possibly can be. What does that mean? How do we become like Christ? The disciple is really just uh, someone who's following after a teacher, and so they're aligning themselves. To be a good disciple, you've aligned yourself underneath the the teacher's teaching, and in Jewish uh, thought, that would be the rabbi, Uh, and so you would be a disciple of the rabbi. We do this, uh, we see this. Uh, all the time in uh, sports circles, especially if you're on Sports Center or you watch Sports Center, uh, you could see them talking about coaching trees. Well, so and so learned under Coach Saban or learned under Coach this or co- Coach that. So he is a disciple of that person and he operates a little bit like that coach. And so you might get a job because of who your teacher was, right? Your coach was. If they were real successful, then that may mean you might be successful. I think that. Probably a little bit of a gamble on some, on some teams' uh, way of thinking. But that's the thought process. It's the same idea as, well, if I, I've, if I sat underneath this person, then I learn from them and I'll operate the same way. In Christianity, we sit under the feet of Jesus and we start to become like him. That's the goal of being a disciple. And so when we talk about the disciples, if I asked you who were the disciples in the Bible, can you name them? You probably would rattle off, I think Peter's one, James, John, yeah, 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 but there's a lot more disciples. Those are the apostles, the 12 or the, the apostles. Disciples are a lot bigger. The people who, the crowd of 144, probably the, at least the 72, that really followed after Jesus and tried to become like him. Those that were in the crowd when Jesus ascended and 
the Great Commission was given. The Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28 says, uh, verse 19, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What is our commission? What are we supposed to do? Go and make disciples. This is incredibly important to how we understand our faith and how we understand Christianity and what God himself has asked us to do. He didn't say go and make big productions and get people and sell them a product. He said go and make disciples. In Western American Christianity, we've kind of fallen into, well, I'll sell them a product. If I have a better production on Sunday morning, if I have a better thing, if I have more fog in the fog machine and I got more lights and I have the, 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 the music playing while the pastor's giving the, the, the calm down, he changes his voice. The pastor sells me on Jesus. And we, 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 we've, we've done this and we do it well to our detriment. We've relied on selling Jesus instead of making disciples of Jesus. There's two totally different things. Becoming a Christian and deciding to give your life to Christ is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Something, you know, we had three people decide to follow Christ last week here on Sunday morning. Amen. That's awesome. Yes. But if we don't, but did it mean we failed this week if we don't have three people come to Jesus? No, because we're making the business of making disciples. We had three, three women at the women's conference this weekend uh, down in Peoria. I got a text that said, hey, we got three people who want to be baptized. That's Fantastic. Does that mean if the ladies night out last week, we don't have three ladies go, you know what? I want to get baptized that we failed. No, what we're trying to do is make people to become disciples. Is that what the great commission says? Go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the father, son, and the Holy spirit. This disciple thing is slow. There's friends of mine. When I was in Georgia, they got fired because they did not see enough decisions for Christ on a, on a monthly basis. That was a metric in which these youth pastors were being judged. There's something broken in that, right? Because that's not making disciples, that's selling a product. And I don't, and, I, and it's easy because being a pastor is so stinking uh, subjective. Like, I don't know what you're struggling with. I know some of you, what your stories are and what you're struggling with. But I'm like, oh, I don't know if you've made a decision. Some of you are very private people. You're like, oh man, I gave my life to Christ three weeks ago in that message. I'm like, you did what? You never told me. None of your business. <laughs> Fair enough. You're not wrong, uh, but uh, it's like, thanks, uh, could have used that. I thought I totally bombed the whole message. Well, you did, but Jesus did something through you. Oh, yeah, it's about him and not me. You see how that becomes a problem. And so you, as a pastor, you kind of become in, in this like weird, unhealthy, stupid thing that Satan attacks you in where your, your value as a person is, is somebody raises their hand at the end of a message. Um, that's not good. So let's get even more subjective and figure out how we're making disciples. I can't quantify a disciple. How disciple are you? Right? That's a long-term thing. You know, Jesus poured into people uh, for years, and uh, his best disciple, Peter, totally betrayed him. <laughs> like his best, the one I spent the most time with. You deny me three times. Awesome. So if Jesus was a failure as a youth pastor... I guess we can be failures as youth pastors as well, too, right? Because it's, it's, it's what happens is people are messy and they choose dumb things. But how do we help people become closer and closer to God every day? Well, first step is we got to get closer and closer to God and be in alignment with him every day. 
So that, that's the, the process of discipleship. We're going to get really basic in what discipleship looks like today because we make it this big thing like, oh, I got to go to a class and I've got to hold my teeth right and I got to fill out this form and I got to go to my spiritual gift survey and all these things. There's the wonderful, beautiful things that help us along the way of being disciples of Jesus. However, it's a lot more simple than that. And so we're going to walk through that today, okay? And one of the major things, there's this huge thing that we're going to hit today that is a value of this church that is not fast, it's extremely slow, but it changes your life and the life of people around us. So uh, that's my hook. Stay tuned okay, after this commercial break. Uh, so what, what, we're, what we're going to do, or I want to give you the filter in which how do we become disciples? What does that look like? How do we make decisions that we know are discipleship to become more like Christ decisions, or we make decisions that are less like Christ? Because that's what discipleship is, is following after the rabbi, becoming more and more like him in all the decisions we make. So how do we become in alignment? Because if, we, if we've driven any cars, you've hit a pothole, because that's what we make here in Chicago. Uh, that's what we make in Illinois is potholes. And so you realize when you get out of alignment, there's an issue, and you know it very quickly. You don't really know which one of those potholes it was that caused the, the unalignment, but you know that it's unaligned because things are shaking, tires are worn weird. And some of you have been driving around on an unaligned car for so long that you, if you drive a, an aligned car, you start veering to the left or the right because you're so used to, every time I drive, I got to pull to the left, right? In our lives, they're the same sticky way. We're living our lives and we're like, why are you making that choice? Because that's what I do. Why? I don't really know. I've repeatedly made the same dumb decision over and over and over and over and over again. That that's just my default position. Yeah, but Jesus wants you here. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Oh, my alignment is off. Does that make sense? Okay, so how do we get the right alignment? It's pretty easy. It's very difficult to do, but it's easy to know. Okay, what, what it is. The first is this. You ask the question, does... It moved me to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Does it move you to love God more? So, and you're like, well, that doesn't really apply to my question. Mm, does it? A lot of your parenting choices, your marriage choices, your work choices, your hobby choices, is it allowing you to love God more? Okay, maybe I'm a little ambiguous on that. Second question. Does it allow me to love my neighbor more? Who's your neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. Does it allow me to love my neighbor more? Is that totally selfish? Is it only good for me? It's probably not making you in alignment with God. That's the second step. The third is, if you're still struggling, if you still don't know if this is putting you in alignment with God, you ask the question, does it put me in alignment with the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Because if it puts us in alignment, if you're still wondering if I'm, I think I'm loving God here. And I, 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 can, I can massage that to love other people. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can trick myself into thinking I'm loving people with that. Okay, okay, okay. But does it align us with the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, because in the Sermon on the Mount, you get the Cliff Notes version, basically, of Jesus' all this teaching. You get to talk about uh, lust. You get to talk about anger. You get to talk about greed. You get to talk about all the issues that everyone struggles with, that everyone deals with. And so it was an alignment with Christ in that. So if, it, if it's something that I can love God better, love my neighbor better, and it's alignment with the Sermon on the Mount, and guess what, guys? If 
you're loving God better and you're loving your neighbor better, it's going to be in alignment with the Sermon of the Mount, uh, then you're good. If you go through all three of these filters and you go, well, I still don't know, I'm going to ask you, you need to take a moment to humble yourself and let the scripture speak into your life. Because if you've honestly humbled yourself before the scripture and said, God, does this help me love you more? With, a, with maybe a job choice. Or uh, am I going to let my family do this? Does this let us love you more? Does it let us love our community more, our family more? Does this let us, are we in line with the, with the Sermon on the Mount? If we still ask, I don't know, I don't know. Is that I don't know based out of, because what I really want to do is this. Or is it based out of you searching, I want to be in line with Jesus? Those are hard questions. But at the end of the day, are we going to humble ourselves and become a disciple of Jesus? Or are we going to do what we want? Because that's really what the follow me starts to look like. Well, I know what I should do. That's nice. I'm going to go over here. How do I align myself with Jesus? This constant battle in ourselves is what discipleship is. And so if you think, man, I, I've never been trained to be a mentor. I, I, I need one. I, I don't know what it means to be a disciple. Maybe I need to go to that. Cl- Look, folks, what being a mentor actually is, is asking these three questions in different ways. <laughs> Having the guts to say, dude, does that let you love God more? Shut up. I don't want to hear that. Right? That's, that's, what, that's what it really looks like. So if you're looking at investing in your kids, you're looking at your kid is struggling with a choice between what college to go to, put them through this filter. If they claim Christ is their, their leader in life, they should be wanting to, uh, to do this. Someone in your family is looking forward to uh, a new job. I don't know what I should do. If you have someone in your family or you are looking in your family and you're wondering whether or not you should continue in your marriage, look in here. That may not be what you want to hear. all kinds of hard questions in that. But are we in alignment with Christ? Are we coming closer and closer to Christ? Are we going our own way? That's really the end. But we're called to go and make disciples and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what our our default position is to be. Not just to sell Jesus, but to become like him. It's a hard call. It's a beautiful call, but it's who we are supposed to start to become. Colossians now, how do we do that? Once we've started making these choices, uh, how do we do that? How do we live this out? And this is the, 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 the hard, slow, beautiful thing, I think, that makes disciples start to take the next level in their faith. Uh, Colossians 3.23, New Living Translation says this. Work how our attitude should be. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So how do we do anything? We work like we are working for God himself, not for people. And this value translated in in our terminology is the value of excellence. How do we chase excellence in everything that we do? How am I excellent as a dad? How am I excellent as a uh, husband? How am I excellent as a pastor? How am I excellent as a neighbor? How am I excellent as the guy in line at Mariano's? How am I excellent as a a fellow prisoner on 55? 
right? How am I excellent in these moments? And now there's a big difference. As soon as I said the word excellent, some of you are like, well, I can't live up to that standard. That's because you equate excellence with perfection. And they are vastly, 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 vastly different things. I've learned this the hard way. Okay. I am married to a perfectionist. Kelly is a recovering perfectionist. I don't know if she's recovering. She's a, a, a pseudo recovering perfectionist. Um, if you're around her for very long, you're like, wow, she does things well. It doesn't matter what she does. It, she's always been that way. Drives me a little nuts. But one of the things that she had to give up as a perfectionist if she wanted our marriage to be excellent was she had to allow the dishwasher to be packed a certain way. Some of you need to relinquish that. Because my excellent way of packing the dishwasher is not, you know, perfectly geometrically aligned so that we get the maximum amount of dishes in there. But you know what? The dishes got ran, didn't they? Uh, So there's a difference between perfection and excellence. Some of you are like, there's no elbows here, folks. Okay. Uh, Pick it on the dishes. I always pick on dishes. I have no idea why. Uh, But that was one of the things I fold towels wrong too, apparently. Didn't know you could fold towels wrong until I was married. Um, It's really unfortunate that Yvonne isn't here today. Uh, So... Uh, she's also a perfectionist, so it's fun to mess with her. Uh, I go by on her desk and just turn things just because it drives her bananas. I mean, I understand. I'm trying to. I repent from that today, Lord. Um, who am I kidding? I'm not repenting from that. I'm going to do that. Just be honest before you. Uh, one of the things, so I folded towels wrong. And then one of Kelly's mentors said to her, well, honey, do you ever want him to fold towels again? Kelly said, huh, I do want him to fold towels again. I just want him to do it the right way. <laughs> well, you get one or the other. And so uh, my, my way of folding towels is not the perfect way, apparently. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm open to learning, but it's not going to happen. Apparently, I need a board or whatever. I, uh. <laughs> but the idea between perfection and excellence is this. Perfection is you're doing something... It, objectively perfect. It's this huge high standard that everyone's always trying to reach and that you're never going to get to. As much as you hold your tongue right, as much as you do everything as best as you possibly can, you're always going to continue to fall short. And so in chasing perfection, you also feel like a failure a lot of the time. And it leads to all kinds of self-esteem problems. In the church, we do not need uh, people to feel like they're failures in chasing after Jesus. Okay? So what needs to happen is we need to chase excellence. I'm going to do everything like I would before the Lord. Well, I want to do it perfect for the Lord. Yeah, yeah, the Lord knows you. He created you. He knows you can't fold towels, Eric. It's okay. You do it excellently. What does excellent mean? Excellent means doing it the best best possible way you can right now. The best possible way you can right now. So a good example of this is if I've been here, today was the day I announced I was coming to Shore Church of God uh, in 2013. So how many years ago? Oh, ooh, thank you. Uh, yeah, somebody still cares. No, uh, so, <laughs> message with you. so, uh, in 2013, but if you take the graphics that Kevin did in 2013 or the video bumpers that he did then, they were very good and they were the best possible and probably even close to try his level of perfection. Cause I know how he's wired that he could do in 2013, but he can do the, what he did in 2013 10 times faster and 10 times better than he could then. Now, why? Because instead of perfection, he's seeking excellence. I'm doing the best I possibly can with what I have right now. 
That's what we do. Now, what that looks like in our marriages and what that looks like in our parenting and what that looks like at our, even our own work is I'm doing the best I possibly can right now. What that looks like in church, I'm going to do the best I possibly can right now. So if uh, whatever that looks like and however you serve at this church, you may not be the most gifted whatever it is, but I'm going to do the best I possibly can right now. And trust that as I become more trained and, and more experienced, that I'm going to get better and better and better at it. But my excellence level of five years ago is not the excellence level that I can now. My preaching has drastically gotten better since it's five years ago. Thank you for bearing with me. I listened to some of those messages. And I'm like, oh, I still was a youth pastor, wasn't I? Uh, so uh, we try to get better in that. But I was doing the best I possibly could then. No. We continue to do this over and over and over again. Excellence is not perfection. I coach baseball, and uh, I coach nine and ten year olds. And last year, I coached five, six, seven, and eight year olds. And I am not wired to coach five, six, seven, and eight year olds. It's not my gifting. Can't do it anymore. Like if you, I, you couldn't pay me. I don't think to go back to that level. But I love coaching nine and ten year olds. I also changed as a man because I think I desired. My son's only been playing baseball thirteen months. He's only been playing for thirteen months. But in month two, I expected him to operate as he had been playing since, uh, for, since birth. No dads have ever made that mistake before, right? No coaches. If you have a coach yelling at the kids are losing their mind, they're, hey, coach, you never taught them how to do that. You shut your face. <sighs> right? Because what we're demanding out of our children is we're demanding perfection, not excellence. So Bowen, if I am demanding him to hit a home run every time he's up to bat and to turn a perfectly turned double play every time he gets the opportunity at shortstop, that's an unreasonable expectation. I am demanding perfection from a nine-year-old who, who, who doesn't have that experience. My demand is, was that the best you possibly could do? You fielded it cleanly. You made a good throw. Okay, cool. We're done. Did you make contact? Did you run hard? Awesome. Now, if I see laziness or whatever, now I have room to yell. Still in there. But uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get at him, you're going to do the best you possibly can today, whatever that is. And so in our parenting, it, it matters a lot. Not that we teach them that we're, we're hoping for excellence. We're not hoping for perfection because there's a big change in that. Because perfection leads to all kinds of, 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 of serious of self-doubt and uh, bad self-esteem issues and stuff like I'm never going to measure up and all these things. Okay, wait, wait. what did you do well? How did you do it the best you could? Did you fail in that? Because if you fail in that, what could we have done better? There's still a lot of teaching moments in that. But not this unreasonable thing of perfection going on in our head. Um, there you go. How do we continue to teach our kids, in our, even in our, um, and live lives of excellence? I look at my marriage, and there's times in my life where I'm like, wow, I was not... I even gave up on perfection. <laughs> like I wasn't doing excellent. I was just getting by. I was skating by, and I was going this. And there's so much room for excellence in my marriage. There's so much room for excellence in even how I'm conducting myself at work. Do we skate by, or do we do the best we can? Because are we working like we would work before the Lord? That's a mind shift. Because the discipleship of, of what Jesus is saying is, look, how you align yourself, and you're going to go make disciples around you, 
when you do everything like you would do for the Lord, people are attracted to that. They notice that. They notice it when your marriage is different. They notice it when your kids are different. They notice it when you work differently. How I do everything matters because I do it like I'm going to do it before the Lord. There are no small ministries, right? We, we have, a, um, have an issue right now where we have thistles that have decided to make our flower beds their home. So if any of you have the, the gift of weed pulling, by all means, uh, we would love to let you exercise your gift. Um, so, but, but that's a, that's a kind of thing you're like, Oh, well, the church, whatever. We don't need to, it's not that important. It's incredibly important. The first time a guest walking in and going, wow, this must be a really thorny church. I wonder if that's like their personality here. All right. You don't need any more excuses of not walking in the, the church doors. You see thorns and weeds like they must not care. I'm going to turn around and walk away. Maybe that's all the excuse they needed that day. We're going to fight against that consciously. Um, Excellence is not perfection. Uh, But what perfection leads to is legalism. Perfection leads to legalism. Perfection leads to legalism. Did I do this perfect? Did I do that perfect? Did I check off these boxes? It leads to legalism. I must not be good enough because I didn't do this, this, or this. It's not excellent. It's perfection. Perfection is unreasonable and unattainable. When we give too much into perfection... We start worshiping what we do and not the God that we're doing it for. Repeat that because it doesn't have a slide, but you still need to write it down. Perfection means we start worshiping what we do and not the God that we're doing it for. If you're leading and you're demanding perfection, maybe you're leading in your family, maybe you're leading in your classroom, maybe you're leading... In church, maybe you're leading a group, whatever it is, and you're demanding perfection, you find yourself disappointed in people all the time, wanting to give up. This isn't worth it. Nobody else cares. But when we're expecting excellence, we start pushing people to a place instead of holding them to a a standard that they can't possibly reach. I had a pastor say this was like putting the cookies on the top shelf. Right? You only get the good stuff if you make it all the way up here. Well, no one could get there. No one's got a ladder. You didn't give me a ladder or a boost, boost up or anything. You just put the cookies up there. You can have all the cookies you want once you get there. It's not fair. No one feels valued. It's not fun. Right? As disciples, we can't continue to do this. Well, one day when you become a Christian, all this good stuff will happen to you. It's not the way it works. Perfection is unattainable, and it destroys motivation. You want to see your kid get discouraged about something? Demand perfection. Big difference between perfection and excellence. Uh, The uh, opposite of this is carelessness. Carelessness leads to selfishness. Carelessness leads to selfishness. Now, don't get offended by the carelessness. I could also use the word lazy. I was trying to be nicer by saying carelessness. But carelessness leads to selfishness. Oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do at church. It doesn't matter what I do at work. It doesn't matter what I do with my family. They're stuck with me. She's never going to leave. He's never going to leave. Carelessness leads to selfishness. You start making decisions on what's only best for me, not what's going to help me love the Lord your God with everything, not what's going to help me love my neighbor with everything, not aligning myself with the Sermon on the Mount. It's just all about me. That's not making a disciple. 
of Jesus. That's not doing our work as we would unto the Lord. It's about me. Carelessness is attainable, but it destroys a legacy. Carelessness is attainable. We can all be careless. <laughs> we, can, we can do that, like, right? I can, I can be lazy. I kind of want to every once in a while. You, know, you, you deserve a day of laziness every once in a while. Uh, I like try to communicate this. Hey, I am going to be lazy here. And it never fails that some emergency happens and I don't get to be lazy. But that's beside the point. Uh, but but you know, this, is, this is the moment. I'm gonna, but carelessness is attainable. I can be careless, but it destroys your legacy. What it does is it communicates to your children that working hard is not important, that, that doing things uh, well is not important. It, it just communicates the wrong things, and it destroys your legacy. Oh, that dad, man, he could sit in a recliner like nobody else. Man, mom, she could shop for Lulu Rose stuff on Facebook forever. If you're a Lulu Rose salesperson, I apologize. But carelessness is attainable, but it destroys a legacy. What are we leaving to our children? What are we leaving to our husband or our wife? But also, what are we leading? How does this work in discipleship? Because when we chase after our, the legacy we leave, when we chase after excellence, is this matters. I'm going to do the, what's excellent all the time. Do the absolute best I can because God matters. He matters in my life, and I want to align myself with him. When I'm careless in this, that doesn't leave that legacy. When I'm perfection, well, I can't come to God because I have to be perfect, and that's not who I am, but I can be excellent. See, excellence has room for grace and mercy. Excellence has room for failure. Excellence has room for hiccups. Excellence has room for trips. Excellence has rooms for bumps. Excellence has room for things breaking. I've worked in environments where, where it had to be perfection and excellence wasn't room. I worked in, a, in, a, in an environment where um, the, the pastor who was in charge of set design and making sure everything went off on right on, on Sunday morning was always, he'd stress him out so much that Saturday night he would be sick every Saturday night because he was so stressed about how Sunday morning was going to go off. That's a level of perfection, not a level of excellence, right? You guys are like, you've worked in some weird places. You worked in some weird places too. Maybe you're, you know, church work is, it's another job sometimes, right? Uh, but maybe it's been your family. If I don't perform at the sporting event, my dad was going to kill me. If I don't perform with all A's, my dad, my mother was going to shun me. You know, if I don't cook this meal right, it's not going to work well. But maybe if I don't do this right at work, it's going to be blah, blah, blah. You've worked and been in different environments like this. But if you're a boss, what happens when we start expecting excellence instead of perfection out of our people? I think we get more out of them. Excellence has room for grace and mercy. And it's also seeking grace or seeking excellence is also the way I think Jesus started to empower his disciples. He gave them chances to fail. He sent them out and said, go do it. And they came back. He's like, you guys messed up. Let's do it better. Go do it again. Over and over and over again. Excellence has room for grace and for mercy. So I want you to ask yourself these questions this week or right now. As we seek what it looks like to be excellent, where did you mess up in your marriage this week? It's not hard to think about, right? You know, Tuesday night, I did this, this, and this. My bad. She's told me 18 times that I messed up those. Where'd you mess up in your marriage? Where'd you mess up with your kids? 
Where'd you mess up at work? Are you building your, beating yourself up for it because you didn't attain this crazy standard that you have, that you're the only one that has that standard for you? Can you look back at that and go, I'm going to do the best I possibly can in that situation? Guess what? One of the best places I, I explore excellence is when I apologize. I, ex- I try to be the best apologizer that I possibly can be. And that looks like this. I blow my lid at Bowen. Poor kid. Love him to death. I, I, he's, he's my little buddy. I, I mean, he's got my heart. But if anybody's going to get a quick, what are you doing? It's Bowen. It's, it's going to get it from me. Kendall, if I just raise my voice at her, she's like, yeah. but I never do because she never does anything wrong. If you have kids and more than one, doesn't that stink? One's like, yeah. And one's like, ah. you're like, this is unfair, but what are you doing? And so excellence, even when I screw up with Bowen, looks like this. I walk into his room and he's up in his, he's got a lofted bed. And I say, hey, bud, can I see you? I put down the book or whatever he's doing up in his bed and he looks at me and I say, hey, I shouldn't have blown up at you like that. And I'm sorry. I'm going to try to do better. I know I apologized last week and I'm trying to do better this week. And your dad's always going to try to be a better dad. Every week I'm trying to be a better dad. Right? And so what did I do? I showed him humility that dad doesn't think, maybe you're like, well, that, I can't show weakness. Kids feed off weakness, maybe. Uh, so, but what I do, I, I showed him that, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to become a better dad. I'm trying to become a better man. This is where I messed up. Be better than me, son. Excellent in that. You can be, seek excellence in the way in which you apologize. See, perfection doesn't have room for that. Because if I admit I was wrong, then I wasn't perfect. It takes humility. It takes becoming a disciple of Christ. How am I doing things? What is my decision-making process? Through all of it. How am I loving my husband or my wife better? How am I loving my kids well? How am I loving my neighbor well? How am I working well? Am I working like I would unto the Lord? Or am I just skating by? How do we seek a, a lifestyle of excellence in all that we do? Let's pray this morning. Ben, come on up. God, thank you so much for today. And thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. And Lord, I ask you to foster a sense of excellence in all that we do. That we would be motivated this morning to chase after you and with a new passion to be excellent for you and among you and with you. And that we'd own our failures and we'd own our victories. That we would be able to say, yeah, God, we did awesome. Or yeah, God, I need help because that was terrible. God, our marriages are too important for us to be careless in. And they're too important for us to have this unrealistic perfection ideal for. Let us be excellent in our marriages. God, raising our kids is too important for us to have this crazy perfection mindset for our children or our careless mindset. It's too important. Let us be excellent in it. God, what we do and how we interact with people and how we love people and how we show them your love is too important for us to put this crazy gate of perfectionism up or this silly carelessness thing going on. Let us be excellent as we chase after people. God, they are matter and they are important because they matter to you. Let us love well. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com. To continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ, you can give online at scog.com or through the app.
see you next week.